0: tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and Valentine's Day is a big day. And I would guess it's probably a, a bigger day for the women than it is for a lot of the men. You see, I've found over the years that guys tend to struggle with Valentine's Day. Let's face it, some of us guys aren't too smart when it comes to romance. And so to help my fellow knucklehead guys out this morning... I'm going to share a few words of wisdom for Valentine's Day. Now, as I do this, I realize it's probably too late to help out for this year. And guys, will probably forget this again next year, and all I can say is I tried. So, guys, these words, these words apply to your girlfriend, your wife, your daughter, and your granddaughter. Now, if you have a girlfriend and a wife, we need to talk. See, that multiple wife and concubine thing, that was an Old Testament thing. And if you read the Old Testament, it never worked. And for the, gua- the guys that don't have a wife or a girlfriend, count your blessings. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. As the proverb states, and I believe this, an excellent wife is more precious than jewels. And guys, those of us who are married, we know we have excellent wives. Just ask her. Now, if you don't have a wife or a girlfriend... I want you to listen anyway, because these wise words may come in handy down the road. I want to start off with sending flowers. If you're sending flowers, I think most of you probably know this, but if you're sending flowers, send them to her work. See, flowers can be pretty meaningless unless other women get to see your gal receive them. (laughs) And you can even spice it up by including a note with the flowers that says, From your secret admirer. That will keep the workplace buzzing for days. Now this is a really, really sweet one. This is, don't forget a daughter or a granddaughter. I think that's very important because they like Valentine's Day too. Now this third one here is a helpful bit of wisdom. Basically, you know that saying, it's a thought that counts? Sounds nice, but guys, it's a lie. Flowers, diamonds, chocolate, dinner reservations or whatever count a whole lot more than nice thoughts. Now, I gotta admit, I know one guy who nailed this this year. He bought his wife a new house for Valentine's Day, and all I can say is he hit the bar way too, hit, set the bar way too hard, because what is he going to do next year? Now a little more advice is, number four is don't wait until the next day before you order flowers. Order present online, buy a card, or make dinner reservations. I've been there. I've done that. It isn't pretty. This year, I can say that I bought Mary's Valentine's Day card several days ago. I was on the right track, but sadly, Mary had to order her own Valentine's Day gift. Big time fail. And all I can say, I was so close. Now I learned this one at the Lunch Bunch this week. Make sure you got the right name on the card. Don't give Sally a card with the name Ruth on it. One of our men did that when he was much younger. Not to his wife, it was long before that. And if you forget to buy something for her or do anything for her, beg for forgiveness. It isn't very manly, but it might work. Or if you want, you could go the complete opposite direction and just say to your wife or your girlfriend or whoever, say, Woman, it's a stupid holiday. Get over it. And the only thing I would say is you take that approach. Remember to dial 911 first because you're going to need the ER. And as I'm watching out this morning, I don't see any of you doing it. Maybe one of you back there. If you're on your cell phone, I know what you're doing. And more importantly, the woman sitting next to you knows what you're doing as well. And like I said, it's probably too late to order anything for tomorrow, guys. And with all that, I think we need to pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, you have created us in your image, and you've given us the gift of salvation. You give us wisdom, and yet we can be so unwise. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to instill in us a new heart. Show us the truth that we may follow in your ways, and we give you the glory. Amen. Oh, there you go, whoa, whoa, okay. Some guys aren't real wise and they don't put batteries, new batteries in their clicker. But you know, some of us guys aren't very wise when it comes to Valentine's Day. But I also think, you know, if you look at our world today, there tends to be a wisdom shortage. You don't have to agree with me that, on this stuff, but I think all you got to do is look at what's going on in many of our public schools. Now, before I go further, I want you to know we have great teachers who are Christians. And if that's you, you are a blessing. You are facing a battle, and we need more of you. And that's because I do think there's a lack of wisdom in a lot of our public schools. Everything in a public school is okay except being a Christian. Our kids are taught things to make them ashamed of their faith, their race, their position in society. And I know it because I've read some of the assignments that have been given to high school students. It's crazy. And for my small sample, it appears the idea is to teach kids what to think and not how to think. We need to teach them how to think. Instead of learning from the mistakes of history, our schools are in the habit of rewriting history these days and canceling history. And when you think about it, such thinking doesn't bring people together. It divides them. A lack of wisdom shows up all the time in politics. One that you know I'm very passionate about. Many in our government say it's okay to kill, to kill babies. Freedom of speech is, is good unless you disagree with those in power. We restrict the use of our nation's natural resources, and then we beg other countries to produce more. Many would like to remove God from society. Re- religious per- persecution... It's getting scary. It's getting worse. In God we trust. And if you think about it, if you look at history, removing God never worked. God's own people, the Israelites, they forgot about God over and over again, and it never turned out well. The, the wisdom, what they call the wisdom in our culture, is, is pure insanity. We need to get back to biblical wisdom. We need to get back to biblical morality. But the fact of the matter is is you, you can't force it on people. And so what we need to do is show them what wisdom looks like. As Christians, it's our responsibility to come together to unite for the cause of Christ. We bring wisdom to a world that's filled with insanity. In the Corinthians that we're reading through the Paul's letter to him right now, they had a similar problem with wisdom. Their view of wisdom was also messed up. The, the message of Jesus was foolishness to many of the Corinthians in the culture because it didn't fit their way of thinking. The problem for the Corinthians is the same problem so many people face today. They traded the truth for a lie. They lacked true wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Paul wrote this. He said, For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolish, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. See, the Corinthian church was chasing after the loves of the world around them. They absorbed their culture. They loved rhetoric. They loved making speeches and arguments to persuade and to impress people. Wisdom to them was a way to attain power and position. Intellect was worshipped. Social status was an opiate for society. It fed their arrogance. It fed their attitude of one-upmanship. And Paul said it was foolishness. In the the passage we just heard read a few minutes ago by Sarah and Amber, Paul is going to teach us about true wisdom. In, In 16 verses that you heard this morning, Paul used the word wisdom eight times. He also referred to knowledge, understanding, and discernment. Instead of caving to the world's view of wisdom at that time and today, Paul shows us how to truly be wise. Paul began by writing this. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words." Paul was being humble here, but in a sense he could also say Paul was taking a shot at the Corinthian culture. They loved wise and persuasive words, and Paul said, I didn't do that. I didn't need that. Paul said he also didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. He said his knowledge was limited. He said he came in weakness and fear and trembling. And the reason Paul said that is because he knew that he wasn't worthy to share the message that he had been given. His power wasn't in himself. His power was in God. His power was in the message that he was delivering. Way back when I was in seminary, they told us as a a pastor, you should be a little nervous when you stand up in front of a congregation to deliver a Sunday message. And, And the reason they said that is because when you're standing here, you're preaching your words to convey the message of God's words. Your words are delivering God's message. That's a big challenge. That's above my ability. And the fact of the matter is it's the same when any one of us shares our faith. The message that we're sharing with others is much bigger than us. Now, I don't want to say this to scare anyone from sharing your faith. You can do it. You can share your faith. But still, we share our beliefs with others with reverence. The message that we're sharing is life-changing. It brings light to dark places. It redirects the heart and the mind towards God. And the message of Christ might be rejected as foolishness. And that causes a lot of us to hesitate because we don't want to be rejected. But think about it. Jesus was rejected by so many. So why should we expect anything different? Paul wrote this, he said, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. In other words, all their wisdom wasn't going to amount to anything. He said, No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden that God destined for our glory before time began. None of our, the rulers un, of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul spoke there of a Of a a secret message. That was the gospel. It contained wisdom that the culture didn't understand. And yet it was a powerful, clear message. And the point that Paul was making about wisdom is this. When wisdom speaks, it clearly states the message. Paul didn't need flowery language or big theological words. He didn't need to prove his intellect. He preached Jesus Christ. He preached Christ crucified. It was a very simple and clearly stated message. The message is this. Jesus died on the cross for our sins that we might be forgiven and receive eternal life. See, one of the problems with those people in Corinth is that they were more impressed with the words Than they actually were with the message that those words delivered. And and we do the same. Whether it's a, a great pastor or a charismatic politician, it's often how they say things that matters the most rather than what they're saying that catches our attention. Now, I'm not bashing eloquent speaking, it can be a good thing as long as it makes sure the message is clear. Other times, though, the message should just be clearly and simply stated. Reminds me, I've got, I've got a friend who tells it just like it is. She doesn't sugarcoat. She doesn't beat around the bush. She's very direct. Some might say at times she's too direct. Now there's others of us, though, that maybe we're not so direct in our speaking. Our word choice can actually soften the, the blow of a tough message. We use our words to paint a message. And there's a place for that type of speaking, too. As long as the message is clear. When it comes to speaking about our faith, we need to be clear. We need to be concise. We don't need to be a Bible scholar. We don't need big words. Many times we don't even need to have deeply thought out arguments. We just tell it like it is. Tell them what Jesus means to you. Give people the clearly stated good news. Let them know that Jesus died for them and that he will change their life if they trust in him. that leads us to a second teaching from Paul in our reading, and that is to know your limitations. Many many years ago, an actor named Clint Eastwood portray- portrayed the unconventional cop, Dirty Harry Callahan. Harry fought for justice. His methods, they would never work today. In one of the movies, a crooked lawyer threatened Dirty Harry. And less than five minutes later, that lawyer's car exploded, killing him. An emotionless Harry stated, a man's got to know his limitations. The lawyer didn't know his limitations, and it cost him his life. You and I, were limited. We recognize and admit those limitations. Let me give you kind of a, a poor example here. I like to play. You know, in my mind, I'm still a kid. And I remember a mission trip way back in 2014 when part of the team was playing basketball. We were playing basketball with some Mexican teens at the mission complex. And being a kid, I joined in. And I was by far the oldest person on the court. But I had a blast. I was 18 again, running up and down that court with everything in me. I was jumping, I was laughing, and I was having the time of my life. And then I paid for it. The next few days I was hurting. My back hurt. My ankles hurt. My knees hurt. Every muscle in my body hurt. And probably the worst thing is my pride was hurt. I needed to know my limitations. Paul wrote of our limitations in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He said, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now he was quoting Isaiah 64-4 there. And what he was saying is we cannot comprehend on our own, we can't conceive on our own all the things that God has planned for us. A few verses later, Paul said, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. In Isaiah 55-8-9 we read, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are, are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Words of wisdom. Because I think we try to figure out God all the time. And when we do that, we kind of put God in a box. We want him to measure up to our preconceived notions. We tell God of our plans, and we expect God to go along with them. We have a picture of how God should act, and when he doesn't do what we think he should do or what we desire him to do, sometimes that causes our faith to falter, and if that happens, we're foolish. You know, today there are those who think this whole idea of a sovereign, loving God is foolish. They don't buy the whole powerful and good God thing. And one of the favorite questions of people like this is to ask a a question of Christians. They ask, why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? Let me say it again. Why does a good God let bad things happen to good people? Sounds like a legitimate question. But it's actually the wrong question. And there are a couple major issues with it. First of all, I hate to tell you this, but we're not good people. We deserve the wrath of God because of our rebellion against God. We deserve bad stuff to happen to us. We don't deserve blessings. And that's a big obstacle to, to, to trust in. So many people in our culture can't admit that they're basically not good. We fail daily. We don't want to live the way God wants us to live daily. We put so many things ahead of God daily. We're not as good as we think we are daily. And then second, the bad stuff that happens in life is the direct result of sin. Our world is under sin's curse because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Sometimes bad things happen because of our own personal sins. We do things that bring trouble to ourselves. Other times it might be the sins of another person that is hurting us. And it can also just be the result of a fallen world. God allows suffering, but we, all of us, humans, are to blame because of sin. And so the question we should ask, a better question, is this one. What are we supposed to do with, when bad things happen in our life? What are we supposed to do when bad things happen in our life? And the answer is this. Suffering and pain should draw us closer to God. It's only through him that we find comfort and hope when the world is crashing all down around us. And God may not take away the pain, but he will bring peace to his children. And and even in this question and the answer I just gave you, I have to say there's mystery. We don't fully understand God, he has revealed himself to us, but we're finite, and he is infinite. We can't possibly figure God out. Paul wrote one time that we see through a mirror dimly. I mean, think about a mirror. Think about a mirror in a dark room. If you look in that mirror, you can see your reflection, but it lacks color. Details are not clear. And that's kind of how we see God today. We see him, but not clearly. One day we're going to meet Jesus face to face, and then we will see perfectly. In the meantime, we seek, study and seek to understand God more deeply. We realize that we're going to be limited in our understanding, but we have enough faith and wisdom to trust in Jesus. And that faith, that wisdom, is powered by the Holy Spirit. The third teaching of Paul is that wisdom speaks when you and I rely on the Holy Spirit. Right after Paul wrote, No eye is seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, love him, he added this. He said, But God has revealed it to us by the Holy Spirit, or by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God the Father since they're one. Paul wrote this. He, said, since, he says, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us, He added, this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. And what that means is that even though much about God is a mystery, it's above our understanding, you and I know what we need to know. We've been freely given knowledge of Christ, what he did for us, and what he continues to do. The Holy Spirit opens our hearts and minds to the wisdom of God. He helps us grow in faith. He guides us. There are times we don't know what to say, and the Holy Spirit gives us words. When we don't understand, the Spirit will give us the understanding we need. Not necessarily the spirit, the understanding we want, but what we need. Paul in this passage also, though, provided some words of warning. He said, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. You see, because of the Holy Spirit, you and I have the mind of Christ. And that means we can think like Christ. We can look at the world the way Jesus sees it. We have godly wisdom. Our wisdom is not perfect, but we have godly wisdom, a wisdom that the world will never understand. So what? You know, so what does this mean to all of us when we wake up Monday morning? Well, I think it means a lot. It means that when Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will see the world differently. The culture is not going to understand. Some are going to think you're foolish. And sadly, they are the fools. It means we have wisdom from God. It, It doesn't make us better than anyone else, but it does give us the hope and strength that we need to live a life with purpose. We live for Christ as we enjoy the blessings that God has given us. And it also means that we have the truth. And we can clearly speak the truth. We realize our limitations. We know God has given us what we need. We have wisdom. And so we come together in the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to do our part to improve our families, our communities, and even the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you sometimes not understanding. We don't understand why things happen in our life and our world around us. Things don't make sense. Sometimes we may even doubt. But Father, we also know that you are sovereign. You are in control, that you work things out for our good and for your glory. And so we seek godly wisdom. We seek to understand what you give us. Knowledge of our Savior, knowledge about eternal things. And we do that all through the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear the Spirit when he speaks to us, that we would listen, that we would learn, that we would grow, that, we, that his voice would drown out the voices around us. And Father, we thank you for the peace that you give us. When we know that we are yours, that we are your children, that you love us, you care for us, you will protect us, and you will bring us home. That's the wisdom we need. We pray these words remembering words that are commonly called the Lord's Prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, please stand as our worship team comes up to lead us in our closing song.